In this episode, my guest is communication specialist Helen Wilkie. She's helped accountants and other professionals launch their own business books. We chat about the process of writing, publishing and marketing a business book. Welcome to episode 121 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business, and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now, here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hey folks, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks, as always, for tuning into the show. I really appreciate the time you take to plug me and my guests into your earphones. I was down at an event in London last week and someone came up to me and introduced themselves and kindly said they were a fan of the show. She had heard my voice talking about marketing and finance for well over a year and she said it was great to finally meet the face behind the voice. It was quite a humbling moment actually. I don't take you guys for granted. This is your show, so please don't wait to meet me in person. If you have a comment or want to have a chat, just get in touch. And if you want to join the select group of small businesses getting one-to-one marketing consultancy and mentoring, I'd love to hear from you. I'm only a Skype call away. So let's talk to Helen Wilkie about writing a business book. We chat about helping numbers people to better use words, how to decide on the best subjects to write your book about, why author is the root of the word authority and why this is important for your personal brand, why the fact other business people might have written a book on the same subject shouldn't put you off writing your own, how to avoid going too broad and focus instead on a thin slice of expertise, and planning, editing, production and weather to self-publish. For over 25 years, Helen's worked with a variety of clients from multinational corporations through professional associations to government departments. She specialises in delivering her flagship programme, Effective Business Writing for Accountants, to firms and conferences across North America. She's written eight books on business communication, including Make Your Words Count, a short painless guide to business writing for accountants, and this is available on Amazon. So let's get straight into that interview with Helen right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Helen, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, Roger. My pleasure to be here. Helen, I think you may well be Skyping me from the furthest distance from Edinburgh that anybody has ever been on the podcast. (laughs) Tell me where you're Skyping me from. I'm Skyping you from beautiful Buenos Aires, Argentina. But that's not an Argentinian accent, is it? It's not, no. It's a Scottish accent, but I actually don't live in Scotland either. Um, I've born and raised in Scotland, but I moved to Canada when I was a young woman uh, for a year and then met my future husband and stayed there. And I've been in Canada for more years than I care to admit. But in recent years, uh, I love Canada, but in recent years, the winter has not been my favorite thing. So um, Argentina has been on my bucket list for many years. And a couple of years ago, or three years ago now, I guess, I came down to test the waters. I just came on a vacation. And as soon as I landed, I totally fell in love with it. And so every time I came, I stayed longer. So I have now reached the point where I spend six months summer in Canada 
And then the Canadian winter, I spent six months in summer in Argentina. Fantastic. Now, it's interesting. My parents, um, just after my father retired many, many years ago, they went and lived in Florida for probably about a 10-year period. And at the time, quite a lot of um, people from Canada and from the northern states of America used to migrate down to um, Florida during the winter. And, and they were known collectively as the snowbirds. Is that, yeah. a, is that a term you've come across before? Yes, and the snowbirds are still there. They're still, but but I want. I didn't want Florida. I wanted something a little bit more exotic. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so, not just about the weather for me. I mean, I really do love Buenos Aires, and and um, the people of Buenos Aires are called porteños, and I call myself an honorary porteña. <laughs> Indeed, and I call myself an honorary Scot as well because, yes, I'm English, I've, but I've lived in Scotland for nearly 25 years, so I think it's about time that I got honorary Scottish status. Helen, great to talk to you today. Um, we're going to talk about professionals writing books. Now, as it, when I talk about professionals, I mean any sort of professional in the terms of an accountant or a financial services professional, maybe a lawyer, those sort of service type professional industries and the advantages and possibly the disadvantages that you can bring to your business by writing a book about what you do. Um, and that sounds like a fascinating subject for two reasons. First of all, I think it's a great way to market yourself and to and to create and to amplify your personal brand if you have one. And secondly, it's something that I'm very seriously considering doing myself at the moment. And in fact, I have the bare bones of a structure for a book about simplified marketing that I that I want to kickstart in the near future. But before we get into all that interesting stuff about writing books and publishing books, Helen, give me a little bit more background about yourself, where you came from, where you're going, and, and basically what makes Helen Wilkie tick? Well, I guess I should start back in the 90s when in Canada I was basically a free, freelance writer. And I, that time it was a different world from what it is today. Of course, we didn't have all the technology that we have today. And I wrote basically promotional materials and also corporate communications. One of Canada's biggest banks was really my major client. And I did a lot of work for them. But then I found one day that I was spending so much of my time at the bank at meetings. And I thought, this is not what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. So, And at the same time, I had also, by accident, found my way into the world of speaking. Right. A client, one of my writing clients said to me, my people don't know how to write a decent business letter. Could you teach them? <laughs> so I said, sure. And before I left Scotland, I for a very short time, I was a teacher, a high school teacher. And so I know how to teach, even though I didn't like teaching children, but um, I know how to teach. So it was a natural thing for me. And I created a one day business writing workshop, which I still to this day teach in a form that's not that dissimilar to how it started. Okay. And then sort of in the, later in the 90s, I was invited to speak at a conference. And this was a shorter program that I did. And I went in there and spoke for an hour and I, I, I totally fell in love with the world of conferences. I couldn't believe that people would pay me handsomely to come and actually do this because it was so much fun. And that was where I sort of got hooked on the professional speaking side of things. And then a few years ago, I got back into writing for clients because 
the technology had made it so much easier and I knew that now I don't have to spend hours and hours in client meetings because everything can be done with technology. So I got back into it. But the interesting thing is that maybe, I don't know, maybe it was 15 years ago or something, I was invited by Arthur Anderson. So this tells you how long ago it was. Right. Arthur Anderson to do, a, they wanted a business writing work, um, course, not a workshop, but a six-part course. So I went in and I did that and I pretty much made it up as I went along because I was kind of looking for what they needed and what they wanted and I did that and it was very well received. But then I just went home and forgot about it and carried on as usual. But when Arthur Anderson broke up, a lot of the people went to Deloitte. Right. So I started to get calls from Deloitte asking me to do this workshop. And then it kind of spread from there. And so after a while, one day the penny dropped and I thought, maybe I should be promoting this. And from there, that's where I actually got into dealing more and more with accountants. And so now in recent years, that's predominantly my my clients are predominantly in the accounting and financial services world in speaking and in writing. But except in the world of books, which I'll talk about a little bit later with, with the book side of things, I don't restrict myself to financial people. So now my my website is called communicationforaccountants.com and my I say to people that what I do is I help numbers people use words. I really like that. I help numbers people use words. Do you, do you think that accountants are an example of a profession that aren't actually that good at communication? <laughs> is that a leading question, Roger? <laughs> I think well, it's I think it's more. fair, isn't it, to say that uh, there are a number of occupations, especially numerate occupations, I think accountancy, um, actuarial and some financial services where, you know, the numeracy is very intellectual, it's very in-depth, but from a communication point of view, they often need help both with writing and with marketing. It's just not where their skill set lies. That's right. And especially on the communication side of things, because they think in numbers, it's a different kind of thought process. And in some cases, I think it's, they use it as an excuse. They'll say, I'm not a word person, I'm a numbers person. And I have to raise my hand and say, I was guilty of that in the past too. I would say, I was never good at math when I was in school. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, well, I'm just not a numbers person. But guess what? In this day and age, you have to learn about numbers. And, and, and people who are numbers people have to learn about words because we need both to communicate. Here's an interesting thing I've noticed. In recent years in the accounting world, there's all this new class of technology that's come out that will help accountants visualize results and forecasts and so forth for their clients, things like crunch boards and, mm-hmm. and that type of technology, which are absolutely wonderful technology, but they do not do the job on their own. When somebody, Because the thing is, when you, as an accountant, you show me this picture, you know exactly what it means, but I don't. I just look at it and I see graphs and so forth, but I, you still need to use words to help me understand what I'm seeing in the picture. Of course, people. some people are visual learners, some people like words, some people like figures, and if you're going to be an all-round good communicator, you have to be able to communicate to people in the way that they want to be communicated to. So effectively, Helen, you're, you're, you're providing marketing services to accountants through your main website. Yes. There are three ways, three in the 
the, the words of today, three buckets um, that my services come in, three ways that I teach numbers people how to use words. And the first one is actual writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do write for clients. I, I, I write website copy. I, I write content, marketing materials, articles, um, success stories, you know, that type of thing. So the writing is one. The next one is uh, professional development, and that's where I go in. And for many years, I've been going into uh, firms and teaching business writing skills as well as other communication topics. And as a matter of fact, just in the last couple of months, I've created an online course which is basically the same information on business writing skills. So now people can actually sign up for my course and do it individually on their own time and their own schedule as it's self-paced. And then the third one, which we'll be talking about today, and this is honestly, this is my favorite one, is helping people get their books done, is to help them to get the book written and out into the world. I think that's what we really want to focus in on today, Helen. It's this idea of business people writing books. Now, on the one hand, there are lots of business people out there who are writing books all the time. You know, every day it seems that there's somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk or Amy Schmittauer or Marcus Sheridan launching a book, and you see it all over YouTube, you see it all over Twitter, you see it all over social media. Um, But For the lowly business person like me, who isn't an international superstar, is it really worth me sitting here and thinking about writing a book? Or is it really worth an accountant in a city somewhere sitting down and writing a book? Is it really worth their time? Well, let me ask you a question. If you're thinking of writing a book, why are you thinking of writing it? What's your purpose for the book? Well, from my point of view, um, I've worked in the marketing industry for getting on for 25 years. I've always thought that as companies get bigger, I find that the marketing process becomes more bloated, more bureaucratic. It perhaps loses its creative edge. It perhaps loses sight of who the customer is. And you don't tend to get that in smaller companies, in startup businesses. And, and, and the, the idea that I've got is to try and focus in on the reasons why people lose sight of who their customers are and lose sight of their communications objectives when businesses get bigger and try to come up with a blueprint that says it doesn't matter how big your business is, you know, if you've got 20,000 people or whether you've got 20 people, the basic principles should be as simple as possible. And that's really what that's really the idea that I've got at the moment. And and I've got a skeleton of an outline, but obviously it needs research and it needs writing and it needs stories and it needs it needs people to give me their stories that I can include within that if I ever actually get around to writing it, of course. Right. So your main purpose really for writing the book is to help um, small business people understand marketing. That's the sort of bottom line underlying part of it. That's, yes? co- that's correct, yeah. And so these people who are the small business people, are they your clients? Are they your target market? Well, actually, as at the moment, they probably are. Um, I do help mainly small to medium-sized businesses put together marketing strategies and put together content marketing and social media plans. So I, I guess I do have these people in mind when I'm thinking about putting the book together and ultimately I'd like to get out and do a lot more speaking like you I like getting up on stage I like talking to people I like helping people and it just seems like a natural time I've been at this for a long time I've got so many ideas and so many stories that I've gathered over the years that it just seems like it's worth 
putting it down on paper? Just you've hit the nail on the head there, and this is the answer to your own question. It depends why you want to write the book. And if you if you write this book and get it out into the world of small business, you will help those people, and it will also help you because it will help promote your business. And who knows, the book can actually take you even beyond that. And you could become a Gary Vaynerchuk, who knows? That's not the main purpose of most of my clients. It's not even my main purpose for my book. But the idea of being able to use it in the marketing of your business is probably the main reason to do it. And yes, resounding yes, it is definitely worthwhile for professionals of all kinds to write a book on their area of professional expertise that they want to promote in the marketplace. And that's that's an interesting point, too. You must make that, that if you're going to write a book for marketing purposes to make you stand out against the competition, you need to write the book on the subject that you want to be dealing with for your clients. There's no use going off on a tangent and writing some different kind of book. Mm. There's a staggering number of them out there. And even though there is a gradual small shift towards people marketing for these people to be a little bit more innovative, still the vast majority of them all look the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, their websites say we are different and then they go on to prove how they're not different. Absolutely right. And some of the, you know, a lot of the smarter ones do see the value of, of serving a niche, a niche market. There's no better way to stand out as the authority for that group of people than to write a book specifically for them. And as you know, in the accounting world, more and more of their services, their standard traditional services are becoming commoditized. All the whole compliance side is becoming commoditized. And so there's a lot of chatter online and on social media that about more of them wanting to move their practices more towards the advisory services. And I've told more than one person, if you want to do advisory services, you have to up the ante on your communication skills. But not only that, who's more trusted than an author on a subject? The word author is the root of the word authority. So your book positions you as the authority on that subject. That's why we say so-and-so wrote the book on that, implying nobody knows more about this subject than this person. So who would want, you know, if I want to, you know, to hire somebody to help me with that particular subject, why would I even bother about anybody else when you wrote the book on the subject? So definitely it attracts the right kind of clients, the kind of people that you want. And if you're interested in higher fees and bigger clients, then let me tell you, people who are looking for the cheapest accountant or the cheapest financial advisor, which doesn't seem like a good idea to me, but if they're looking for the cheapest, they're not going to look at authors because the people that that you want as your clients know that authors are going to cost more because they know more about the subject. And so the people who are looking for you through your books expect to pay more. I've written eight books, mostly on communication in the workplace. And the first one I wrote was called Message Received and Understood. And I wrote it when I was in the early years of my speaking career. And as soon as I published that book, I increased my fees and I got more speaking engagements than ever. And the same thing happens to any kind of professional. One question that will always come up though, Helen, and I'm going to use a slightly different example to try to make this point. Um, One of my very good friends, Pete Matthew, um, runs a podcast 
similar to this podcast called Meaningful Money, but his podcast is geared towards the consumer, unlike my podcast, which is geared towards the professional um, financial advisor, professional marketer, professional professional, I guess. Now, I've had conversations with other financial advisors and said, look at what Pete Matthews done with Meaningful Money. He's created a podcast which people are downloading, you know, 10,000 times a week. He's, he's had well over, well over a million downloads now. And the answer I get from those financial advisors is, well, there's no bloody point me doing a podcast now, is there? Because Pete's already doing it. He's already successful. Why should I do one? Because Pete's already cornered the market. So aren't people going to turn around and say, Helen, that accountant's already written a book. What's the point in me doing it? It's already been done. Oh my goodness, yes. This is a question that always makes me laugh. And let me let me come at it a little bit differently and then I'll come to your podcast thing. But let me ask you, do you have a hobby that you're very keen on? Oh yes. I, well, I, I my hobbies are a bit like my side hustle. I actually teach yoga classes, so it's a sort of hobby, but I also make a little bit of money from it as well. Obviously, you love yoga or you wouldn't be teaching it. So the next question is, do you have any books on yoga? Yes, I do. Do you read any magazines on yoga? Well, not not printed magazines, but I do read yoga websites which have articles, right. obviously, yes. So have you ever said to yourself, I only really need one yoga book. Why have I got two? Why have I got all these other ones? Of course you don't, because when people have a hobby, I mean, golfers you know, and fishermen, all anybody that's interested in any my late husband was into model airplanes and our place was full of books on model airplanes. That's when people are interested in something, they will read many books on the subject. And on your area, your subject that you're thinking of doing a podcast or a book on, you do not need to worry about that. If there's no books on the subject, it's because nobody's interested in it. And no matter how many books are out there on the subject, they will not write the same book that you will write. There are many, many books out there on communication in the workplace, but none of them are the same as my books. And with podcasting, even more so, a lot of it is about your personality and nobody else is going to be able to copy your podcast because yours will be different. And when it comes to actual books, here's the thing that really matters. If you're using your book as a vehicle to to for, to make more business, if you hand your book to somebody at the end of a meeting or if you send your book to somebody in order to get a meeting, they're only looking at one book. They're looking at your book. Mm. And that's the one that matters in that moment. So never, ever worry about the competition. That's really good advice, Helen. That's really good advice. It's given me a bit of mo more motivation and hopefully people listening to the podcast today, whether they're thinking of writing a book, whether they're thinking of starting a podcast, whether they're thinking of starting a blog, whether they're thinking of starting a video channel, it's absolutely key to remember that even if other people are doing it, then why not do it yourself? Because as you say, you put your own personal brand onto it, you put your own personal touch onto it, and you will write it, you will record it, you will produce it in a different way. And, and that is motivation enough to think about getting out there and starting to produce this content for yourself. So, Helen, we are going to write a book then. We've come up with the idea. So what are the next steps that we need to go through, Helen? Well, one of the things that people say is that they've got no time to write a book or they don't know how to write a book. They're not writers. Mm. And this is, this is one of the reasons why I started my service, which is called The 90-Minute Author. But let me tell you a way that 
people can a- a- approach this, which is similar to what I do, but with a difference. Um, so I'm assuming if somebody listening to the podcast is considering write a book, they have a certain area of expertise. They're an expert in something. And that's what they want to write the book about. So the first step that I suggest that you do is sit down and write down at least 10, but more if that comes up, questions that your clients ask you about the subject. Or, and this is actually even better, questions that they should ask you, but don't. Mm. So those are the things that, the information that you're going to have in your book. So write down, let's say you start with 10. So you now have a list of 10 questions. So take a look at these questions and give some thought to how you would answer them. Now, forget for the moment that you're writing a book. Imagine we're sitting together in the local coffee shop and I have asked you the question. How would you answer the question to me in that setting? That's how you're going to answer the question for your book. Now, it's a good idea to maybe just jot down some key words, but don't start to write because that defeats the purpose. Just maybe index cards and write down a couple of key words to remind you of what you're going to say in your answer because your answer to the questions become the content for the book. And this is the way I do this. I do, I interview people. So people find it a little strange to be sitting sort of talking to themselves into a microphone. Some people find that strange. So I say, well, get somebody to interview you. All they have to do is ask you your questions. But the good thing about having somebody ask you, especially if it's somebody who's not an expert in the area, is that they can say to you, I, I don't understand that. Well, tell me that in another way. Say that in English. And then that will give you the pointer that maybe you're using jargon and you need to kind of um, reduce the level of jargon and make it more accessible. And also, an interviewer can ask you follow-up questions, just as you're doing here with me. And that also brings in information that you perhaps didn't know that you had. And many people think, well, I don't have enough for a book. But once they start doing this process, they realize how much information they really have about the book. So that's the first step. The next step is vital. And this is one, you can get me on my soapbox about this one, Roger, because this is something that actually makes me angry. There's a lot of bad information and bad advice out there on the internet now. A lot of people will tell you to just top your book. And there's no mention of planning or anything. Just top your book. And then after that, get it transcribed. And all you need to do is just tweak it a little bit, take out the ums and the ahs, fix the punctuation and the grammar, and voila, you have a book. Well, you don't. You have a tweaked transcript, and that's not a book. That's what I call an imitation book. There's so many people that think if it looks like a book, then it's a book, but it's not. It's not the kind of book that you want to put out there with your name on it to help your your standing as, a, as an expert in a field. Just because I heard somebody refer to it once as a book-shaped object. This is almost like you taking your podcast and just transcribing it and making it a book, and it's not. I did a book a couple of years ago for a couple of guys in Toronto that do a podcast. And they've been doing it for years, and they had a lot of episodes. And so they picked 20 of their best interviews, and they gave them to me. And my job was to take the interviews and make them into a book. And the thing is, the first part, taking the interviews, was fine. But it's the second part, making them into a book, that's the important thing. Because 
as a podcaster, you know, and you're a good interviewer, so you know that in an interview like this, things can go, can wander. You know, somebody, somebody says something that takes it down an interesting new track, and that's good that you explore that a little bit, and you can you go into places that you never really knew at the beginning that you were going to do, and so you can go from one uh, subject to another and back again and that's great that works really well for a podcast it doesn't work at all for a book a book needs to be organized and set down in proper logical way so that the reader can read it and, and it makes sense if you just slap down a transcript you're not going to get that so if you're going to do this process at this point you need to bring in a professional you need a professional editor. So it, it's it's like, you know, when you go to the movies and at the beginning when you see the, the credits coming down, it will say adapted from the novel mm -hmm. by so-and-so because it's been adapted from the printed word to movie, another medium. Well, this is what we're doing here. We're adapting it from audio form into the printed word, and it's not the same thing. So I do caution people who want to do this on their own at this point, you can do as much editing as you can on your own, but you need to bring it. Even Stephen King uses an editor. Even the best writers, authors use editors. And so that's a part that you do need to pay for. But it also answers the question, I don't have enough time. Because the first recording part is the part that takes the least time. And then you're going to hand it over to a professional to do the rest. I was just listening to your episode where you interviewed John Esperion. Yes. And, and you talked briefly, the two of you, about this, about talking. And, and, and that's one means of getting your actual voice into the content. And I, this is basically what I'm talking about. This is the reason why you do this. But it really is important to understand that that middle step is essential if you want a quality book that you can be proud of. So we've we've answered the ten questions or so that our our customers are asking us, and we've got this on tape or we've got it transcribed. What is the process you go through then to create the structure of a book rather than just a series of transcripts of a series of podcasts or a series of blog posts? Well, I the way I do it is that I look at the actual content. And the, the book that I did for the podcaster before, it was like this. It was an interview thing. And he had interviewed successful Canadian business people. So I had to listen. I, I had them all transcribed. And then what I did was I listened to the episode and read the transcription at the same time. And then I would mark, I would say, okay, they're talking about subject one, and I would just mark a one on the paper. And then they would talk about something else. But when they came back to talk about that subject again, I would mark that as subject one so that I could see that I, we're talking about this one subject in several different places. And so I have to pull that all together. And that becomes one module or one chapter or whatever it is that we're doing. And then after that... So um, what other mistakes are people making other than just thinking that all they need to do is to do a load of transcripts? The next big one, I think, is going too broad on a subject. People are busy today. They don't want an inch thick tome giving everything that you know about your subject area. And one of the things, one of the examples I use, is, as you know, I'm from Canada... And I will say to accountants, for example, supposing I'm a Canadian um, business and I want to open a branch plant across the border in the United States, how is that going to affect my tax? 
That is all I want to know. I don't want to know everything you know about cross-border operations and everything. I just want to know about this one aspect of it. Now, there's maybe more to that than, than I know about, but this is what I want to know. And you apply the same principle when you're getting ready to write your book. It's a thin slice of expertise. You don't need to write a thick book. It's a thin slice of expertise because that's what people want today. And trying to write a big book with everything you know on your son, I mean, if you were to sit down and say, right, I'm going to write a book called Marketing for Small Business. No, that's going to be a disaster. It's going to be way too broad, way too wide. You're never going to finish it because it just goes on and on forever. And what happens then is it also takes far too long. And as you know, in this day and age, if it takes two years, it's obsolete by the time people read it. <laughs> no, that, that's a very good point you make there, because I guess, you know, the, the image that you have in your head when you're starting to think of this is that it's got to be a thick book. It's got to be hundreds of thousands of words. But I, I think what you're actually saying is um, that it doesn't need to be as thick as that. I mean, what, what, what do you think the word count of the average business book? is these days about 50 to 60,000 words is that about right yeah, that's high average uh -huh. um, in many cases the kind of books that my clients are writing and that, that they're writing to promote themselves as an expert in such and such a thing it can be as little as um, 15,000 words now that's mm -hmm. a small book that's mm -hmm. only been about 90 pages or mm -hmm. so but you know you can give it presence because you know, you've got front matter and back matter. You've got your title page and you've got your table of contents and maybe you've got people who have written testimonials for you and that goes in in the front. I'm not talking about padding it for the sake of padding it. But by the time you finish, it's probably about 100 pages. It's a thin book, but it's a book and it's a proper – when people get it in their hands, they, if they're not authors themselves, they still see a book. And when they open it up and they see that it's got real content in it, that's more important and more impressive than one of these 200-page books that got next to nothing in it. You, once you get to, I, I think, 150 pages is is close to an average. And that, that's a good-sized book. If you've got enough content on that particular subject to make it worth doing a 150-page book. If you're starting to pad it, then you're kind of losing the purpose. Okay, so I've I've worked out how I'm going to get the material down. So we might do a transcript, but it needs to be it needs to be put into the right order. It needs to be structured correctly. Maybe I need to get somebody to help me edit it at this point. So we've got the book. We've got um, a draft which we think is sellable. Do I self-publish it? Or do I go and look for a contract with a traditional publisher? Okay, that goes right back to the first question. Why are you writing the book? Mm. In terms of traditional publishing, in my mind, there is only one advantage to traditional publishing today, and that is prestige. There's no question about it. If you've got a book published by Macmillan or Prentice or one of those, that carries prestige. But that's it. That's the only advantage. The disadvantages are many. One of them is you need an agent today. You can't go, you can't interest a big publishing house without an agent. So you have to find an agent and interest that agent and make them know that what you've got a book that they're going to be able to sell. So that can take a while. So you finally got an agent. Now they have to sell your book, your concept to a publishing house and that can take a while. And then if, if you eventually get a publishing contract, 
it's an average of two years after that before your book is actually on the shelves. Mm. So it's a long process. <clears throat> There's also the issue of control. If you go, traditionally publish, they have control over everything. And they can end up with a cover that you hate, but, you know, that's the one they want. Mm. They can change the title of your book to something you don't like. Even the content, even the stuff that you really like, it's what they want that matters. And so you have absolutely no control. Plus, of course, there's copyright. If they're publishing it, they own the copyright. And today you have to be even more careful because they also want digital rights, mm. which basically you're giving away the farm if you do that because you're going to end up getting some tiny royalty for all this work and everything. So if you choose to self-publish, actually today we call it indie publishing, short mm -hmm. for independent. Um, so if you go that route, then yes, you take all the risks, but you also reap all the rewards. So you know, there's a big difference between selling your book, if you sell it on Amazon and getting 70% royalties, rather than from some you know traditional publisher and, and they pay you 7% or something like that. So there is that. But the, the main misapprehension that new authors are under is that if they go with a traditional publisher, the publisher will do all the promotion. Yeah. This is 100% wrong. Publishers do no promotion, little, I mean, next to no promotion, unless you're a big name, big selling author. Right. You know, they'll, they'll do the, all the, the publishing and everything else for Authors who already have a big platform, like the Stephen Kings of the world, or, or you know, people that are big names in the in the business uh, publishing world. I don't think Seth Godin, his publisher, is going to hold back yeah. on the promotion. But for you and me, nah, not so much, really. Even if you go with a traditional publisher, you, the author, have to sell the books. You have to get out there and hustle the book. If you're a, so, if you're going to do all that then you might as well go indie and do it all yourself. If you want to, and then, of course, if you're with a traditional publisher, you're very limited in what you can do with the book. I'm a professional speaker. I want to sell my books at the back of the room. Mm. Well, as a traditional publisher, I need to buy those books at wholesale price and then have them delivered and then sell them. So they still make the lion's share of the money. Whereas if it's, a, if it's an indie publishing scenario that are, I mean, I've, I've got great contacts with great book printers who can do a really good job and really fast and turn them around when I need them. And then they're all mine. I can do what I like. If I decide to give them away, I can do that. You can't do that if you're a, a traditionally published author. So how much is this going to cost me, Helen? So I've written a book. It's about 150 pages long, maybe add 10 pages of um, acknowledgements, put a cover on it, design a cover. How much is it going to cost me to self-publish this book? Okay, well, there's a couple of things there that you've mentioned that also need to be taken into concern in terms of the cost. One of them is your cover. Um, when you're selling your book as, a, as an indie, you're definitely going to want to sell it online in some form. And, you know, having it on Amazon is the first step to take and it's very easy to get your book up onto Amazon not necessarily easy to sell it but it's very easy to get it up there and so there's your books going to be there in thumbnail size all beside all of other books on the same subject so you really do need to put an investment into your cover unless you're a graphic designer you shouldn't do your own cover. No. You should get somebody else to do it. And it doesn't need to cost a lot of money. There are people on, on Upwork and even on Fiverr that will do decent-looking covers for you. So you have to make that investment. And as I've said already, you do need an editor. 
And so you have to pay an editor. An editor, the, the cost of editing can vary tremendously depending on not only the length of the book, but frankly, what, how good a job you've done of the initial writing. It's going to cost you. You might be able to get away with a few hundred dollars, whereas if it's, if it's raw, it could be a few thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. The Internet's there. You can investigate. You can research that before you start. So that, but But don't cut corners. Don't. You know, my mother used to say, you spoil a ship for a hate me worth a tar. And that's what we're talking about here. Don't, you know, get your teenage kid that knows how to work a computer, design your cover. So that's a cost. When it comes to the printing, this is the thing that technology has made a huge difference. When I wrote my first book, I think it was in 1993. And in those days, you had to buy 5,000 books in order to get them to print them at all. Mm -hmm. And it was a standing joke in the speaking community that all the speakers I knew had garage full of books. And then, of course, moving them was a, was a huge deal. Today, with today's technology, there's, it's all about print on demand. You can buy, there are companies that, that do short-run book printing. They still, you still want a printer who specializes in books, but you want one that does um, short runs, which, you know, there's so many of them available online now. If you want somebody that will do it fast and it won't cost you a fortune to deliver. I often use for my when I, when I need books to buy it to sell at the back of the room, I use a different printer. But for just selling the books to the world and promoting my business, I, I sell them online. And I use what's called Create Space. And Create Space is Amazon's own print-on-demand arm. Mm-hmm. And the way that works is it's createspace.com. The way that works is... You get your book all ready and you get it uploaded onto CreateSpace and they walk you through the process. It's follow the bouncing ball to get it up there. And then, so you you haven't paid anything up front at all unless you want a book. (laughs) Now, most of us want some copies for ourselves and because we're the author, we get the wholesale price. So it doesn't cost very much to get them. But the way it really works for your clients and your people that buy them is they go to Amazon. I haven't paid anything at all up front. So you come along and you buy my book. Create Space prints that book, and it looks exactly the same as, an, as a traditionally published book, sends it to you, and then credits me with my share, which is usually 70%. Mm-hmm. So there is no upfront cost unless I want books for a separate purpose, in which case I get them at um, wholesale. So you don't have to now put out huge amounts of money to print thousands of books. In fact, you shouldn't. And that's another great thing about indie publishing. If you want to change something in your book or if if there's a mistake in your book, you know, you can have many, many different eyes read your book and there's still going to be the odd typo shows up or or maybe the information changes. Then it's very easy to go in online to your book and fix it and then just reissue it. Whereas if you're traditionally published, you have to wait until they're ready to do a new edition and they may never be ready. This is really good advice, Helen. So I've published the book. And I can get the copies on demand, as you've explained. And I'm an accountant or I'm a financial services professional. How do I then use the book that I've written and published to promote my business? 
Okay, well, the first thing is to tell the world that you've written it, but you need to get it up there on your website so that people know that you've written it. Then you need to, if you have a blog, you need to write, you know, write some information on the same subject matter and then say, by the way, I have my new book on this subject and give them a link back to the buy page or to Amazon or whatever they can get it. So tell people about it. Social media is marvelous for this. I mean, I'm not a big Facebook person, but I do go on there because I know that I need to remember. I'm always questioning how many of my accountants are on there, but I know that that's, that's a false way of looking at it. But um, LinkedIn, I always, you know, I post every week to LinkedIn. And, and so get your information about your book up there as well. Write something on the subject. And then in the blurb at the bottom, mention your book and with a link back to it. My favorite social media platform is Twitter. So what I do is I have a, an image of the cover of my book. And so I post that as a a photograph they say you can put a photograph so the photograph is there it's the cover of the book and then where I actually write the words I might put something like need help with this and then there's a bitly link that goes back to my website where I talk about my service on whatever whatever service it is that I'm promoting it's the writing and of course as you said before you can be promoting it at your talks you can be selling it at the back of the room of your talks you can get you can get yourself onto podcasts like this you can get yourself onto YouTube you can do an introductory video you know maybe 30 seconds video that sort of thing so we come back to traditional marketing techniques once you've got the physical product printed yes and remember if you you can use your book to get a meeting with a prospect you know if you're trying to get in to see a prospect and you're not really having much luck you can say to them I wrote a book on this subject shall I send you a copy and they send you send them the copy and as often as not that's going to get you the meeting Mm -hmm. if you get the meeting without doing that then your book is the perfect leave behind instead of leaving brochures and things you leave them a copy of your book and sign it I'm always amazed at how pleased people are at getting a signed copy of one of my books. So you sign your, your book and you leave it as a, a leave behind with them. You talked about um, speaking engagements. Your book can clinch a speaking engagement um, because, you know, if there's three people all talking about the same thing and you're the only one that's written a book or you've written the best book, that can get you the deal. Another thing it can do is close the gap between your fee and their budget. Mm. Sometimes... Um, you know, a client will say to me, you know, I'd really like to have you, Helen, but you, I can't afford you. You're above me. And how about buying bags? Because that is usually a different budget. So they have a budget for speakers and they can't put you in it, but they can, you know, put as much as they can in there. And then out of the other budget, they can take the money for your books and you're getting your total fee anyway. Mm. So it can get you the gig and it can also make sure that you get the kind of money that you want to for it. Helen, these are fabulous ideas and you've given me so much information and so many ideas today. But I'm going to ask you one more question and that is, what would be the one thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from this conversation that we've had today, given all the experience you've had in your writing, marketing and accountancy career? I would say that despite all the technology and the new ways that people have of consuming information by video and audio and podcasts and webinars and everything else, do not underestimate the value of a real, honest-to-goodness printed book with your name on it as the author. 
Just having that book, a good book, with your name on the author, can do amazing things for you personally and professionally. So don't underestimate that. The book is not dying anytime soon. I think that's absolutely right. You know, it's interesting. I went through a phase of buying stuff on Kindle, but Probably for about the last 18 months, I've sort of reverted back to printed copies. And even this, just this Christmas gone, I got about six books, about three of which were business books, three of which were fiction, and they were all printed. And you know what? There's something amazing about holding a real book in your hand, isn't there? There is. There is. And the thing is, as the writer, I mean, I, I use Kindle as well. I think there's room for both. But even if you're not a book lover yourself, you obviously are because you talk about, you know, the tactile feel of the book in your hand. If anybody listening here doesn't feel that way about books, that doesn't matter because many, 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 many people do. And it's just the, it's just the presence of that printed book that you've produced, you've created that works wonders. So don't, don't underestimate it. Helen, fantastic, fantastic to talk to you today. I'm hoping that a lot of people listening to the podcast today are going to want to get in touch with you. So what is the best way that people should connect? Um, well, the best way is to go to my website, which is easy to remember because it's called communicationforaccountants.com. And even if they're not accountants, if they're, you know, the financial services, they can find the information there. So check out my blog. And also there, there's a tab there for the publishing services, your book. And it's called The 90-Minute Author. So they should go there. And there's also, I did an interview a couple of years ago with Mark Wickersham about the books. And so there's a recording of that there and uh, hopefully soon there'll be a copy of this um, interview on there as well and also about the actual my 90 minute uh, author service and anybody is welcome to drop me a line by email we can set up a half hour conversation with no obligation to talk about your book idea and whether it's something that you, you should proceed with and how or if I can help you I'd be happy to do that Fantastic. And Helen, I will include the links to that website, also Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. In the show notes for this podcast, which you can find, as always, at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. Helen, it's been fabulous to talk to you today. Really interesting. I'm full of motivation, full of energy now after um, listening to all your advice and all your ideas. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Let me wish you every success for the future. Now, I always say to people it'd be really good to meet up in person sometime, but I guess that given you're in South America, it's probably less likely than it would be if you were in London, but you never know. I do come home to Scotland to visit my family. So the next time I come home, I will get in touch and we'll, and we'll have a personal chat. Fantastic. We'll go and find an Argentinian steakhouse in Edinburgh or something like okay. that. Okay, that's a date. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the topics, apps and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional or journalist and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.